Our first Bible reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 12, from verse 1. These are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asheroth poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your freewill offerings and the firstborn from your herds and flocks. There, in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. You are not to do as we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit, since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And there, rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. The reading continues from Deuteronomy 16, and it's on page 163. The Passover. Observe the month of Aviv. And celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God, because in the month of Aviv he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God an animal from your flock or herd at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt, 
Let no yeast be found in your possession in all your land for seven days. Do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until morning. You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town the Lord your God gives you except the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening when the sun goes down on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. Roast it and eat it at the place the Lord your God will choose. Then, in the morning, return to your tents. For six days eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day hold an assembly to the Lord your God and do no work. The Festival of Weeks. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice, for the Lord your God, at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, you your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your town and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. The Feast of Tabernacles. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your winepress. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days celebrate the feast to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose for the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God in the place he will choose. At the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festivals of tabernacle, tabernacles, no one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord, your God, has blessed you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening, everyone. Nice to be here. Welcome to those online. It's great to be back in Deuteronomy. We're in chapters 12 to 16 tonight. And our theme is choose worship choose worship uh, friends if you're a christian tonight we have the the honor and the privilege of living a life where we magnify and we glorify our extraordinary god it's called worship uh, we get this privilege of ensuring that everything we do everything that we say everything we think brings glory to his majestic name. That's called worship. 
I love this phrase. Worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of a chosen or choosing God. All that I am, all that I do, all that I could ever become is set apart to magnify and glorify our extraordinary God. We get to wake up each day and say, Lord, here I am. Uh, take my family and my friendships and my fitness, may magnify you, God. Take my time, my talents and my tongue and may that magnify you, God. Here's my ambitions, here's my emotions, here's my money, here's my marriage, here's my hobbies, here's my hurts, here's my heart. Lord Jesus, I just want to live this day so everything I am, everything I do magnifies you and glorifies you. That's worship. Worship is a 24-7 thing. You know that. But as we gather here at 7 p.m. on a Sunday night, we're also gathered to worship. We don't stop worshipping God just because we walk into a building. This is a worship service. Let's, let's reclaim that name worship for our gatherings. We're here to worship God. We're here as, as men and women, boys and girls, and we're here to, to meet with God, to experience God, to worship him. And there's something profoundly special that happens when, when God's people gather together and we sit together under his word to hear him speak and we sit together and we actually ask and plead for stuff and we sit together and worship in song. I know that you could be at home tonight with a, a Bible or you can podcast a sermon. I know you could get a, a Spotify worship playlist and you can say your prayers and that's a good thing to do. But it's not the same as gathering together to worship. And Christians have always gathered together. Now, I, I know that today's Pentecost Sunday, a, a beautiful day where we remember the Spirit of God came. And I know that if you're a Christian that you've got the Spirit of God living and dwelling within you. But please don't rob our church by not gathering together in person on a Sunday to worship. In the New Testament, uh, the writer of the Hebrews said, uh, do not neglect meeting together as some of the, uh, a habit of doing. Don't stop meeting with your brothers and sisters because that's really important. Uh, in these, these chapters in Deuteronomy, uh, God's people on the edge of the promised land. And they spent 40 years together. Can you imagine that? 40 years doing a church house party every single day, 24-7. 40 years in the wilderness together, traveling together. But the moment they cross into that promised land, they're going to disperse. They're going to separate. And they're all going to go to their separate new towns and build their new houses. And here's the two dangers. They'll be surrounded by people in this land who don't know God and don't worship God. That is one danger. But the second danger is that they'll be, they'll be so dispersed that they won't bother to come together again to worship God and meet with God. And these chapters, chapters 12 to 16, are all about these commands not to stop meeting together, to regather together to worship God. 
He starts with a negative. Here's my first point, false worship. What not to do, God's warnings on worship. You know, because God loves his people enough to warn us what not to do, how not to worship. It's like those signs you see, you know, warning crocodiles in this river. That is not scaremongery. If there are crocodiles there, that's a very kind thing to tell you. And as God's people go into the land, there's some dangers in their worship. There's a repeated phrase in Deuteronomy that comes 65 times. It comes 12 times in this one chapter, chapter 12. And it's a phrase, be careful, take care, watch out, be warned. And there are two warnings for God's people that they are relevant to us tonight. Here's the first warning, beware of worshipping false gods. Beware of worshipping idols. Chapter 12, verse 1, these are the decrees and laws you must be careful. That's the phrase, be careful, to follow in the land. Verse 2, destroy completely all those places on the high mountains, on the hills, under every spreading tree, where the nations you are dispossessing worship their foreign gods, their false gods, their idols. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, burn their Asherah poles, cut down the idols and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. It's pretty strong, isn't it? He says, when you enter this land, be warned, you'll see shrines to false gods. And you'll hear about the gods, the so-called gods of the rain and the, the gods of fertility and the gods of prosperity. And be warned, there'll be moments in your life where your relationship with Yahweh, with the promising God, is a bit bleak and God seems silent or distant. And in those moments, you'll look at those shrines and you'll hear about these so-called gods and you'll be tempted to turn to them, but don't do it. And you'll meet some Canaanites who will have these rituals and they will worship statues and they'll talk about meditation and it will sound very enticing. And God says, do not be fooled. It's idol worship, it's pagan worship. They're worshiping so-called gods who do not speak and do not hear and are powerless to save. So break down their altars and smash their sacred stones, have nothing to do with them, don't be seduced. It's a great phrase in 12 verse 30. He says, be careful, same phrase again, be warned not to be ensnared or enticed or entrapped by inquiring, by having a question about their so-called God saying, how do these nations serve their gods? We'll do the same. No, God's people, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way. Because in worshiping their gods, they do all the kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. It's called false worship. And to be honest, it's the kind of worship I think we are surrounded by here in Sydney today. I, I know we don't have Asherah poles down at Circular Quay with people bowing down to them, but we are surrounded by a culture and a society that does worship foreign gods. Whether it's the, the many gods of Hinduism, whether it's the karma of buddhism whether it's new ageism whether it's body mind and spirit festivals or i think the most prevalent one today is is the god of atheism and secularism it's all around us we live amongst it and it's seeping into our culture and i fear it's seeping into our church because too many christians i meet are, are dabbling with 
Eastern mysticism or Eastern meditation, thinking it is it's just nothing. It is something. It will impact you. Or, or we're naively pursuing all kinds of religious yoga where all these poses are actually giving worship to Hindu gods. Maybe not deliberately, but maybe naively, but it's not. It is dangerous. So when we're stressed, we don't run to Christ, we don't worship Christ, we, we run to yoga or meditation. And too many Christians I meet are advocating this kind of religious pluralism where we're basically saying that, oh, well, all, all religions are basically the same. They get to the same God, so let's have an interfaith service. Why would we do that? Why would we deny the sufficiency and the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life? And I'm not saying we destroy the idols of other people's faith, but please don't invite them into our church. So be aware of, of all these dangers around you of worshipping, subtly worshipping, naively worshipping false gods. And then beware of listening to false prophets. Beware of opening your ears to false teaching. That is chapter 13 of Deuteronomy. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, and if that sign or wonder spoken of takes place, and if that prophet says, let's follow other gods, gods you haven't known, and let's worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. I spot that word among you in verse 1 of chapter 13. These are people within the gathering, within the flock. The false gods come from outside, but from within. Beware of men and women who stand up and say, God says this, God has told me this, I've had a wonderful sign, a wonderful vision, a wonderful dream. It sounds so impressive. But when you listen carefully, they're asking you to subtly deny Jesus Christ. They're asking you to deny his sufficiency or his power. And then they're not leading you closer to God, they're leading you farther away from God. You're not loving God with your heart, soul, mind and strength. And again, nothing's changed. Jesus warned his disciples that after he had gone within the church, wolves would come in sheep's clothing. And these men and women, they would look the part and sound the part. They use the same vocabulary, but they have a different dictionary. They, they use the same words like sanctification and salvation and hope and grace and blessing, but they mean totally different things. And if you listen to them, you'll be led astray because they will say things about God that God has not promised and are not true. And I've sat with far too many people who have come to me and said, oh, I'm disappointed with God, I'm disillusioned with God. And as I've listened to them, I'm thinking, well, God never promised you that because they've been led astray by these wrong teachers. Whole books of the New Testament were written about this. Galatians 2 Peter, Jude, in, in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, in these last days, people will gather around them so-called teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. And I have to say, I can't help but think of the millions of people out there who are being misled by YouTube sermons, who are watching all these people 
who are spouting untruths about God. And it sounds so plausible and so seductive. And the damage is that these, these fake prophets, these fake teachers, they leave people dissatisfied and disillusioned with the one true God. I, I bought a few fake things in my time. About 25 years ago, I bought a, a fake watch from Thailand. I knew it was fake because the man had a sign saying fake fossil watches, $2 each. That was pretty clear. It was fake. It was, it was actually quite a good watch. It lasted for five years. Cost me $2. Not bad for a fake watch. I, I don't mind when something is fake when they tell you it's fake. I do mind when they don't tell you it's fake. So I spent 20 bucks at the Macquarie Centre on a sham wow. Remember the sham wows? Those sponges that are supposed to soak up a whole litre of coke in one sponge, it did not work. Paper towels did a better job than this fake sham wow. It was fake. I just wish they told me it was fake. See, false teachers don't have a sign on like saying, fake teacher. They're much more seductive. Just because someone stands behind a lectern with a Bible open doesn't mean they are teaching truth. Just because somebody has written a book that's a bestseller at Kulong doesn't mean it is truth. Just because someone says, God has told me something, doesn't mean that is right. So be discerning. Ask yourself, is this helping me to love God more with my heart and soul and strength? Is it helping to follow God, to obey God, to revere God? I said last week, one of the most tragic things in my last 20 years of ministry is watching far, far, far too many people being enticed and seduced by false teachers and they're miles away from God today. It makes me angry, to be honest. That's why I don't struggle with chapter 13, verse 5. It sounds pretty harsh, 13 verse 5, uh, that prophet or dreamer must be put to death for inciting rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. That prophet or dreamer tried to turn you from the way the Lord your God commanded you to follow. You must purge the evil from among you. Now I'm not suggesting we stone false teachers, but I am saying that we need to be very careful that we don't give them a platform in our church. Purge the evil. Do not tolerate them. It sounds harsh, but they're, they're leading God's people away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And my concern in God's church today is that we are just, we tolerate everything and anything. And we've lost that sense of a passion for what is right and true and good. And we've lost that sense of what is good for God's name. So just beware of worshipping false gods and listening to false teachers. Now here's the positive. That was the negative. Here's the positive. True worship. What is God's way of worship? And three R's for you tonight. Regather to remember and to rejoice. Regather to remember and to rejoice. Regather regularly as God's people. Don't do the Christian life alone. Come together with your brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus Christ. Regather as God's people. And make sure you're remembering God. It's all about God, all about who Jesus is. 
and make sure your heart is full of joy. That's what we're doing Sunday by Sunday. That's why we meet. We gather together to remember God with our hearts full of joy and gratitude. But please remember you're meeting God. This is not a social club. You're meeting with the one true God. So worship God his way. Come back to 12 verse 5. To God's people, you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all the tribes to put his name there. For God's people then, that was Jerusalem. He says, go up to Jerusalem. Make that pilgrimage to that place you must go. But come with your burnt offering, verse 6. Because remember, you can't approach a holy God as a sinful man, a sinful woman, without a burnt offering. You need to bring a sacrifice to God to atone for your sins so you can be forgiven by your holy God. And then come, verse 6, with your tithes. Because remember that everything really belongs to God. So give back to God. And come, verse 6, with your special gifts, things that you have decided in your heart that you want to give to God out of gratitude, out of love for him. And come, verse 6, with what you have vowed to give, what you've decided in your own mind that you want to give back to God, your free will offering. No one twists your arm. You give it of your own genuine accord. And your firstborn of your herds and your flocks because God deserves the best of your life and your best of everything. So come with your offering and your heart. And there, verse 7, in the presence of the Lord, you're going to meet with the holy God, with his people, and you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice. Love that word. Shall celebrate. So have this deep gratitude because the Lord your God has blessed you. It's a picture of church, isn't it? They met... In Jerusalem, we meet in Kirribilli. But I don't know about you, but I didn't bring a burnt offering tonight. Praise God, I didn't have to bring a burnt offering because my Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, is my burnt offering. My Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who's atoned for my sins, so I come as a forgiven person. But I must bring my heart. I must bring my best to God. Bring a tithe. Bring a free will offering. Come with a heart and attitude of rejoicing, saying, Wow, God, I get to meet with you tonight and your people. Do you ever think like that when you come to church? I get to meet with you and your people tonight. Praise you, God. There are people around the world tonight who would give their right arm just to meet with another believer. Uh, some are in countries where it's forbidden to meet. Uh, others are in countries where there's no church they can meet at. And we have the privilege every single week of gathering as God's people to remember and to rejoice. Let's not take that for granted. Spurgeon said this, Our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. A joyful people is in keeping with God's nature and God's character. And he's so right. Our hearts full of gratitude, full of joy. And so God in his wisdom set up these festivals or these feasts for his people. We read about them in chapter 16. Turn to chapter 16 of Deuteronomy. In the place called Jerusalem, God's people would travel year after year after year. And they'd be singing and dancing and eating and drinking. It's like the best wedding or the best celebration you've ever been to. It's not quiet. It's not a funeral. 
This is a massive celebration because God is good and God has redeemed them and they want to celebrate that. So chapter 16, verse 16, three times a year, all your men, not just the men, but the women and the kids were encouraged to, to make that pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover, for Pentecost and for tabernacles. These religious festivals that God in his wisdom put into his annual calendar so that people wouldn't forget him. Now, I think I am getting old and it might be my age, but the older I get, the more I appreciate the church calendar. That might sound really odd. But those men and women who came before us, they carefully thought through the annual year in church. And they had a day to remember Pentecost, a day to remember Ascension Day, a day to remember the Resurrection, a day to remember the Trinity. Uh, we do a couple of those, don't we? Christmas is great, isn't it? Every year we gather to, to celebrate what? The, the God left heaven and took on human flesh, the incarnation. It, it, we never tire of that, do we? Every single year Christmas happens. And at Easter we get to do it twice. Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. But if you're honest, that's about it, isn't it? Christmas and Easter. What about Ascension Day? That was last Sunday. Did you celebrate that? Today is Pentecost Sunday where we celebrate the Spirit of God has come and living within us. A few weeks' time is Trinity Sunday. We get to celebrate God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What about Advent season? We prepare ourselves for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What about All Souls Day or Saints Day? What about the day we remember Mary and who she was and her place in history? Oh, I've forgotten with the, with the cool trendy church who does contemporary service as well with great worship music. I think we're missing out on something if we just throw out all of that history. It is good to have days set aside to remember who God is. So God institutes these three festivals. We've got Passover, where you remember God's pardon. Passover to remember God's pardon. Chapter 16, verse 1, observe the month of Aviv and celebrate the Passover. Celebrate it. Remember that time in history where you had that horrific 10th plague, where God promised the angel of death would, would come across every household and the firstborn son in every household would die that night. That is horrific. Unless you took a lamb. And you put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and if there was blood on the doorpost, the angel of death would spare you, would pass over. That's where the word comes from. Now I imagine if you had lived through the Passover, if you'd experienced that and your firstborn son had been spared, you would want to celebrate, wouldn't you? You want to celebrate God's pardon and God's mercy and God's kindness. And that's what they did every single year for seven days, like beyond winter escape for seven days with church. And you just celebrated how good God was. And so verse two, you, you sacrificed an animal. You, you brought your best to God and you sacrificed that to him to remember the Passover. In verse three, you don't eat bread with yeast because remember you had to leave Egypt in haste. You had no time for the yeast. And 16 verse 3, it's called the bread of affliction because those days in Egypt were horrific. They were horrible. Uh, 
So, verse 3, in all the days of your life, you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. He's saying, remember God's pardon. How good is God? He's redeemed you. Let's celebrate that. Just before Easter, Rachel and I held a Passover at our house. We had 27 people. And it was a wonderful evening of celebrating. But we didn't just celebrate the redemption of God's people from Egypt. We celebrated our redemption from sin through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what joy was in that room that night. But you don't have to wait till Easter to do that. Now God in his wisdom has put in his church a meal of remembrance. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper. And every time we take the Lord's Supper, we should stop and remember God's pardon, Jesus' body broken, Jesus' blood shed. Please don't just rush through that without your heart being full of joy and gratitude at God's pardon in your life. That was Passover to remember God's pardon. You had Pentecost to remember God's presence. In our Bible, it's called the Festival of Weeks. 16 verse 9, count off seven weeks. So seven weeks is 50 days. That's where you get the word Pentecost from, 50 days. And God's people came, verse 10, again to celebrate. It's a, it's a festival. Singing, dancing, food, drinking. And they bring, verse 10, a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. Now that's difficult for learn or sure people, isn't it? Think of all that God has given you. Now give a proportion of that back to God in a response to everything he's given you. And then verse 10, rejoice. Have that heart of gratitude before the Lord, not just you, but you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, so the, the lowly people amongst you. Let, let them join the celebration. Don't exclude them. The Levites in your towns, the one who have no inheritance, include them. The foreigners, the fatherless, the widows, you might add the marginalized, the poor, the needy. There was no class system in Israel. Gather them all together and let's just celebrate. And it does remind me of church. I love looking out at church. I, I hate monochrome church where everyone looks and sounds the same. We're all different. Young, old, male, female, poor, rich. But what unites us is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we gather together, we should celebrate. So today is Pentecost Sunday. They had a festival that lasted a week. We have a day. But it's good to stop and remember that the Spirit of God is living and active within us, isn't it, day by day? But every Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, isn't it? The third festival is called the Feast of Tabernacles, where they remembered God's provision Passover for pardon, Pentecost for presence, tabernacles for provision. And God's people would come to Jerusalem in the Feast of Tabernacles and they would camp for, for seven days, in tents for seven days. It reminded them of what life was like when they first came out of Egypt. They had nothing, they lived in tents. Before they built their nice houses, they lived in tents. But they had God. And God provided in great abundance. So verse 13, celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you gather the produce. Bring all your produce, bring your harvest. This is how you have the, the harvest festivals in some churches. Bring all that God has provided for you 
and celebrate. Do you ever look back? Look at all the things that God has given you in life, all the way God has provided for you. I arrived in Australia in September 2002, almost 20 years ago. I came with one backpack and I shipped my books from the UK. In my backpack, I had two pairs of pants, two pairs of shorts, five t-shirts, and that was about it. I look back in the last 20 years and think, wow, how much stuff have I now got? TVs and tables and couches and as of last Friday, a dog. And I'm thinking, this is all from God's hand. Everything I've got has come from the hand of a very gracious and providing God. Do you ever stop and thank him for that? His bountiful provision, his rich provision, not just materially, but spiritually. Do you ever stop and say, wow, God, in Christ, I experience your grace, your kindness, your goodness. And when you stop and think about God's pardon, God's presence, God's provision, it's your heart full of deep joy. That's the repeated word of these festivals. It's not a funeral, it's a celebration. It was loud, eating, singing, dancing, tambourines. Verse 14, be joyful at your festival. Verse 15, your joy will be complete. Uh, the composer Haydn was once asked why his church music was so joyful when his secular music was so dull. And he said this, when I think upon God, my heart is so full of joy that the notes dance and leap, as it were, from my pen. Since God has given me a cheerful heart, I cannot help but write with a cheerful spirit. Is that your heart when you come to worship? Oh, there are some Sundays I don't feel joyful. That's okay because joy is not a feeling. Joy is a deep reality that I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, I'm restored. That's my joy. So as we gather week in, week out, we gather to remember and to rejoice. So friends, please don't neglect gathering. God's people have always gathered. I worked out that if you came to church every week and did a connect group every week, that you'd spend roughly 2.5% of your waking hours meeting with God's people. It's not a lot, is it? 2.5% of your waking hours each week gathering with God's people. It's not a lot. And I, I am really, 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 really thankful for online church. I really am. Such a blessing during the last year to gather with God's people and to sing and to sit under his word. And for some people who cannot gather, it's such a blessing. But I have to say, with all due respect, it is not the same as meeting in person. You know, you can't really carry one another's burdens and love one another and serve one another through a TV screen. But when we meet, as God's people, and do life together, what a joy that is. So don't neglect meeting together. Remember and rejoice. Let me pray. Oh Lord, what a privilege it is right now just to gather in this little church in Kirbilly. I want to thank you, Father, for every person in this room right now, those I know, those I don't know. Thank you, Father, that we get to meet as your people, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, loved by you, 
known by you. Thank you that we get to sit under your word together and pray together and to, to rejoice together. Lord, please protect this, your church and every church from false teachers or from worshipping idols or false gods. And please give us this, this heart full of gratitude for who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray.